This is Rabbi Neetleya Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshi Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. This week's episode is basically just one long segment about being a shul without walls and what it means to be a shul where we can't come together in person, what that's meant for our shul in terms of even what a shul is and what its mission is. Um, and also in terms of what it means for our homes. So I hope you enjoy the episode. So tell me when we are recording this. What is the date today? So when we're recording this is Sunday, April 26th. And why is that significant? That is significant because this episode is not going to drop for about a week and a half from now, um, which is very unusual for us because we normally record podcast episodes like maybe a day or two on a good week before they're supposed to go out into the world. And are we doing this because Haley wants more time to edit? We're doing this because by the time this episode is supposed to drop, um, I could be on maternity leave. The Shatova, that is super exciting. So uh, we did want to take advantage of our final days uh, of having you as a full staff member before this maternity leave break and uh, take advantage of your uh, Torah insight and podcasting prowess. And and so that, that's why we're recording this uh, now. Uh, it'll drop again in a week from Wednesday and, uh, you know, may, may very well be another uh, member of your household at the t- when, when this uh, podcast is edited and released to the public, but we're recording now. So uh, this is like a voice from the past uh, when, when you hear it. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're, uh, you know, it's crazy times. Crazy times. That's a good segue. Um, we, we, we are in crazy times, uh, I think unprecedented times. That's like a cliche that I hear a lot. Uh, it, it's uh, quote unquote, the new normal. That's another cliche uh, that I hear a lot. And, and I, I think, you know, it, it's appropriate uh, to devote a, a chunk of time uh, during for, for the podcast to kind of just explore what that really means for our shul community and for shuls in general as, as just that one, like shuls being like one very important facet of Jewish life uh, and how how shuls are operating, what the mission of shuls has pivoted towards when our normal way of functioning is, is not available to us. Yeah. You know, what's funny just when we talk about these like unprecedented times. So um, Ethan and I are both blessed with kind of like elder matriarchs in our family who are still alive. So his his bubby is 96 and I have a great aunt who's 99. And we've kind of asked both of them, like, do you remember anything like this? And these are people who, you know, like remember a lot of things happening in the world. And um, and they're both sort of like, no, this is really different. It's not just, oh, you youngins who like have never faced hardship before. Like this is actually different. Uh, so that was kind of, in some ways, you know, like interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Let, let, let's start, start. Let's just go. What, what, what Shuls have no walls anymore. Uh, Shul buildings are shuttered all across the United States. I, I think this past Shabbat, there was not a single jurisdiction in which it was legal for shuls to be open and to operate. Uh, Israel is now slowly allowing some type of Tulab et Sibor, uh, but I think not indoors, only outdoors with uh, very limited um, 
size and scope of, of, of how that can happen. So, um, so shuls as an institution, as like a cornerstone of Jewish life, at least in this country, um, can, can operate in the normal way. They, they're not, you know, our shul, uh, Shalom, we had minion three times every day and we had shirim in the building and dafyomi and, and, uh, social events and kiddush and, and, uh, children's events programming. And, and that, that's been impossible now for, for six weeks. And it could be another period of weeks or even months until that type of, or longer actually, until that type of virtual functioning uh, is possible. But I believe very strongly that uh, the building is is shuttered, but the shul is continuing, and I think the shul is more more needed than ever. Uh, the mission of the shul is uh, just as relevant, if not more relevant than ever before. Uh, we just had to um, pivot towards areas where we're able to operate and where the need uh, has emerged uh, in place of our normal way of doing things. Some of those normal way of doing things have existed for. I don't know, like centuries, like minion every day. Like that, that's a pretty old way of Jewish communal life, Jewish religious life, uh, maintaining itself. And we've had to do without that for, for a long time. Yeah. So I think it, it makes sense to kind of focus in on something you said, which is the mission of the shul endures. So if your sense of the what is the mission of the shul, like you could have a very limited or narrow sense of the point of shul. So meaning if your vision of the point of shul is, the point of shul is to do things that require a minion. And like the physical space of shul is where that minion gathers. And therefore, if you don't have the physical space of shul, then there is no point in shul because shul is exclusively about things that require a minion. Right? So that, that's like a, there is a vision of, of a shul that, that that's what it is. Um, so what? Why is that wrong? Like, why is that not what our shul is? I think I've been to shuls like that. Maybe in Israel there are shuls like that. It's sort of a a building where minyanim take place uh, throughout the day, uh, but nothing else. The maintenance of Jewish life is 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 um, handled by other institutions and other places, other spaces. Uh, some of them by the government, some of them by other private institutions. But the shul is a physical location where minyanim take place. Um, a shul and you know, and I think a shul of that kind, if it shuddered, I think would have very little uh, need for you. Maybe that's a caricature. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, but if that, if that's, but it's like a, as, as a paradigm, or at least as an archetype, a shul of that kind really, really wouldn't um, have much of a need. To, you know, you can put the building in mothballs and uh, and, and and check back in in six weeks and, and see what and and, re- and try to get, get things started again. But uh, a more expansive understanding of what a shul is about um, very much. Uh, leaves one with a mission that is quite relevant and quite needed and crucial uh, during a time like this. So, for example, if the shul is an institution that is uh, promoting and encouraging and facilitating and catalyzing uh, Torah and mitzvot, the study of Torah, the embrace of Torah, and the performance of mitzvot, mitzvot of religious ritual and mitzvot of care uh, and concern and looking out for one another, then that mission is is so much needed uh, at a time of crisis. The shul becomes really a counter-cyclical uh, institution where when things are really hard, that's when the shul has to step forward. That's when people need the most care. Um, that's when those interpersonal mitzvot uh, are the most, um, uh, like the number of them, <laughs> you know, increase uh, to bury the dead, comfort mourners, feed the hungry, uh, help people find work when they're out of work, etc. All of those interpersonal mitzvot are, are so, so uh, relevant and crucial. And the religious mitzvot, the ritual mitzvot, I, I think are are also like right, right i mean you don't there's don't get a break from having uh, mitzvah obligations shabbos still comes pesach still came uh tefillah is still an obligation each day even when the shul isn't there and i think that actually puts a greater burden on the shul to make those mitzvot accessible 
um, and to facilitate them in, in a, I guess, the less efficient way. Like if everyone comes to one building at the same time, it's really, really easy, you know, for me, for example, to, you know, tell people, you know, okay, take your lulav and etrog, okay, hold on the etrog, you know, with the pitom face down as you say the bracha. And I can say that in shul on Sukkot morning, and there could be a hundred people in the room and they're all learning how to do that mitzvah at the same time, right? And it only takes 30 seconds of my instruction. If, if people can't come to the shul to learn how to do a mitzvah, then we have to really think as the staff of the shul, as a religious leadership team, how do we educate and facilitate the observance of, of, of that mitzvah? You know, this is the first one that popped into my head, but really every mitzvah, how do we facilitate its performance when uh, we don't have everyone coming to the same place at the same time to do it together and learn how to do it together? I just want to highlight some of the things that you said, because that, that was, well, you just said so many things and they, they were all really great. Um, and Thanks. just to like tell to, to the like, what is the point of shul, right? So shul as a seat of, um, or as like the the local seat of Torah and, and mitzvot, and that you might think that which mitzvot are we talking about? We're we're talking explicitly or specifically about mitzvot that involve more than one person. Meaning, so in any mitzvah that like you do on your own, the shul is not actually involved in. And you just said, oh, that like you could see that and and. And what are, what are the communal mitzvot that the shul facilitates? They're much more expansive than just minion. It's about comforting mourners and feeding the hungry. And, and that's what you kind of got, got out with this idea that shuls are counter cyclical, that when things are harder for the community, then the shul is even more necessary in order to provide a, a focus for and, and to facilitate the, the doing of those interpersonal mitzvot. But then you said, you might have thought, oh, it's just about interpersonal mitzvot. It's actually not because the shul also facilitates and educates about even individual mitzvot, right? Lulav and Etrog is not a communal mitzvah, but the shul as a, as a place of both Torah and mitzvot maybe, and as a, a place as that's like a source of Jewish education for the whole community, it then has a, a really strong role to play in terms of even the individual mitzvah performance of our membership. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we saw that um, in a very strong way in Pesach. I think we've spoken about that on the podcast before. And, you know, a lot of emails went out about that. That was like a really, that was the first um, like ritual mitzvah challenge that the shul had to face and every shul in the world had to face, right? How do we facilitate and educate and support our community um, facing a whole series of um, significant, but not always easy mitzvot uh, that came upon us right after our buildings closed down and we weren't able to um, you know, support these mitzvot in the ways that we had done in the past. And and there'll be other examples, you know, I think they're daily examples of tefillah and, and, and Shabbat observance. And there'll be other examples as the calendar continues to cycle uh, through the, the days and the months of, of facilitating ritual mitzvot that become, and that's also true in not just in the calendar, also in life cycles, um, right? I mean, we've had to as a community, learn how to do uh, funerals and shiva over Zoom, and uh, there are people who are figuring out how to do weddings uh, over Zoom and and, and other and bar yeah. mitzvah, right? I mean, these are all and baby namings, baby you namings. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, for example, right? People are thinking about these questions, and and that's the task of of the shul to facilitate that and to you know to um, the the thought leadership and the the, the practical uh, implementation and the facilitation education. That's all core towards towards the shul. Um, and, and just one other piece that bears um, naming explicitly is people's 
um, spiritual well-being. So, so you might say, right, like, oh, these gatherings we've been holding for for Havdalah or for Kabbalah Shabbat, like, really, they're not necessary. Like, they don't fulfill a mitzvah. I mean, Havdalah, you in your own home are fulfilling that mitzvah. Being on Zoom while you're doing it doesn't fulfill a mitzvah for you. But we're also holding, like, a spiritual space, too, by coming together, by doing those things, by, by the daily Mishnah learning and, and the memory of people who can't be saying Kaddish right now. I think that's a really important kind of spiritual role that the show plays in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And and that mission continues as well. For sure, for sure. Like commemorating the, you know, our dearly departed uh, is certainly a core spiritual need and a psychological need and We've had to find a different way to do that, and I and I think it's it's worked for uh, for those who availed themselves of that option. Absolutely, you know, um, th- there there's an idea that I heard like shared around a lot when we when the shuls first closed um, in, in March that the synagogue itself, from some understandings, is the mikdash ma'at. It's like the miniature temple, the miniature base of mikdash, and so. Uh, the home is like a mikdash me'at me'at. Okay, we are doing rituals at home in memory of, in place of being able to do them in shul, which is then itself in place of doing it uh, in the base of mikdash. So it's like two steps removed. We're kind of mourning that loss of our shuls and the shul itself. We're mourning the loss of the base of mikdash. But in fact, uh, the um, the home always kind of plays that role in a little, in a small way, or in a certain way. Yes, uh, but the home is also. Um, is also directly a parallel to the base of Mikdash. The Talmud says, like, Shulchano, Shuladam, right? The person's, like, table is like a Mizbeach, is like the altar in the temple. So in that perspective, the home is maybe a little bit more direct and less um, derivative as a location for Avodah, for serving God. Uh, Sam Shafel Hirsch kind of famously wrote that if he if he could, he would uh, close every synagogue in, in, in Germany where, where he lived and taught because he felt people had adopted this mistaken perspective that Judaism was something that only happened in the synagogue. People had outsourced their connection to Torah and Mitzvot and to and to God even to something that happened in this building once a week rather than something that was really, that they're meant to live with at all times and all places and especially to uh, perpetuate and to preserve and to cultivate uh, in their own homes. And you know, there's like a whole there's a whole uh, movement around this now, like the base Hillel movement, for example, is really grounded in these kinds of ideas about home-based Judaism. Moisha houses are really um, grounded in that. I mean, it's kind of funny because even with this whole idea of home-based Judaism, it's still someone else's home that now you can't go to, meaning like bases are still running all their programs over Zoom too. Right, right, right. Um, right, right. So now it's our, right, it used to be someone else's home. And now, now, it's our, <laughs> right, the, now it's our it's our own homes. Uh, but I think people are connecting to home rituals. Uh, so I, I know that's something, that's something I, you've uh, come to appreciate. And uh, so like, what, what is home Judaism? What has it meant for you in these six weeks since uh, since the shuls have been shut? You know, and, and I just, you know, I, I think everyone, most people listening can understand that, uh, but just to make explicit, like when shul had been open, uh, the last Shabbat that shul was open, uh, you know, like Shabbat was a, a pretty... Um, you know, a day obviously without malacha, but a day with a lot of professional responsibilities for uh, for you, right? A day that began very early in the morning and, and continued with professional responsibilities and uh, you know, being very much on and responsive and responsible for, I think, for, mo- for the vast majority of the hour <laughs> of your waking hours on. on Absolutely. On, on, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what even what, then... Mm-hmm. But even even with all that, meaning, sure, like, even before I was a synagogue professional, um, 
shul still kind of dominated my Shabbat life from, from when I was a kid, meaning like Shabbat day, I, I was going to Hashkama and then working in the youth groups and then coming back from in Hamarev, um, you know, since I was in middle school. So that's a day that's pretty dominated by shul even long before, you know, long yeah. before yeah. I was uh, a synagogue professional. Um, and so even to compare what my Shabbat looks like now to then is like really, uh, you know, in my former lay self, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting, like one of the things I've been wondering about is whether other people have really settled into into routines with it. I feel that Ethan and I really, um, really have, and in ways that are are very beautiful and that we've never we never really did before. Like um, we, uh, you know, wake up, whatever, daven shacharis, and then before we daven musaf, we sit down and we lean through the Parsha and we stop like you switching off all you. And then when someone has like a question, like, like, Oh, like what's happening here? Like, what does this word mean? Or why is it, you know, why is it in, in this binyan and not some other binyan or, um, you know, why, why is it, why is this part here? Um, instead of somewhere else, um, we like stop and we read commentary and we talk about it and then and then we keep going and and learning like that for hours really most Shabbat obviously is such a privilege um, uh, in so many ways but um, but has been has been lovely and and but then in my head it's like well am I ready to give this up when we go back to Shaw? <laughs> that, that does sound re- really lovely. I, I uh, saw online the. Uh writer and, and scholar Jedediah Purdy, he said, um, seeing people without children uh, writing about, you know, which movie should I watch next on quarantine? He said, it's like reading um, like diaries from the summer before World War One started that he kind of reads back. And, uh, so, uh, yeah. Everyone said like, oh, if there are, if there are COVID babies, they're all going to be firstborns. That's right. been like the other. <laughs> yeah. There are people who, right, yeah. And look, and every, look, everything is hard and challenging and, and, and wonderful and, and, and in different ways for every different person's perspective. So, so I, I would say um, very, very long, detailed, like scholarly uh, study of, of the Parsha or anything else is, is not a feature of uh, Shabbat and lockdown, but uh, but uh, moments of quality time with, with our children. It has become something really, really special. I think Shabbat for, um, I, I guess, my entire professional life has been a day when my family takes a second seat to my professional responsibilities. And, uh, that's, that's been like the biggest shift now. Now Shabbat is, is the day when, you know, I'm not reading emails. I'm really, you know, very, very few professional or no professional responsibilities on Shabbat itself. And I'm available to be with my family, um, in a way that, that has not been possible, uh, really since I was a parent, or I guess I was already a parent before I started working full time, but that was a very, very long time ago. So, uh, so that that's been delightful. And um, do you feel like you've established new rituals around that freedom? Like, uh, you know, there hasn't been quite enough weeks to like establish rituals, per, like like new rituals. But like we, I don't know, we, we sing that with like this, like more than once we've we've sang a lot of like you know like slow shira at Shalisha this time, and the, as Shabbat is ending uh, with a bunch of kids, that's been really nice. Uh, so like a lot more singing around the house, that's been really nice, and. Um, walks to visit the Nettlehorse chickens. That that's been like I think every day has been included one or two visits to the Nettlehorse chickens. That's like <laughs> the highlight of our son Yonatan's life. I think that's sort of you know, please hope for him one day that his you know his horizons will expand beyond uh, Aldean Street. But for now that's about as far <laughs> as we go with it. Um, some construction sites uh, on uh by the the new you know red line uh, upgrades. That's also kind of fun to see for him. But yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things that's been interesting to me is uh, what are the permanent sort of repercussions of this? Kind of at the beginning, everyone was like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to realize that like nothing needs to happen in person and like shows are just going to all be moved to Zoom permanently and everyone's just going to stay home in their like comfortable houses all the time. That seems to me completely wrong. Um, and if anything, what this has revealed is that social media and phones and texting and Zoom are all um, kind of useful, important tools that we're so grateful for in this time, but nothing comes close to being in person with people. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say something that I hope to keep and preserve when we're able to um, relax some of these distancing measures is that we've had, there've been a group of uh, folks in the community who have stopped by our home on Shabbat and Yom Tov afternoons. They knock on the door, we open the door, we stand 10 feet apart and we chat for a while. And and it's been um, just incredibly um, wonderful and fun and a highlight of our afternoon uh, when it happens. And also it's like really, really hard that like we can't invite them in for some tea or some cookies or something, which we love to do. And, uh, you know, sort of tried to make uh, like an informal pledge that when this all ends, that we'll uh, please continue to come back to us and we'll invite you in and we'll serve you tea and cookies and and continue. And and I hope that that's something that uh, we'll be able to like do more consistently, just have have an open home on Shabbat and Yentev afternoons for people to drop by and have some dessert and some tea. That's something that... um, I guess before we moved to Chicago, we used to like people used to drop by. We lived on campus. Like, are we often had guests for lunch, but then we would invite almost everyone to come by after lunch for dessert, and that was like a really fun part of our Shabbat afternoon. That we sort of haven't established that here. That seemed people were a little bit um, had, had other commitments at that time of the day, and so it didn't didn't take off. But I hope that we'll be able to establish that because it's really great to see people in the afternoon, and it's just even better when they can come into your house and and you can offer them like real hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a real, one of the things I, I think we might've mentioned this in the previous podcast, but like, I don't even know how to not have like the, the non hospitable nature of these Shabbatot and Yemin Tovim has been like really hard for me. Um, not but one way is in terms of cooking. Like how do I cook for just two people? What is that? I hate it. Um, and two is right. Like people have been stopping by us too. And, and it's lovely and it's so fun and it's good to talk to people and catch up and, and just be around people in person even if we're you know many feet away from each other but at the same time it's like oh you're cold Uh, well I have this nice warm house behind me that I can't invite you into yeah yeah another thing that I hope to take with us um when when this ends is 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 the use of technology to be to make things more accessible um, for people who can't be physically present because of all sorts of legitimate you know reasons um but I hope one day we'll have Dafyomi again in the shul, right? Sitting around the table with cups of coffee uh, all together. But also we can still broadcast over Zoom, right? There's no reason why, why yeah. we can't be in person and also be broadcasting to people. And I, I think the reason why didn't I, I didn't do it because I felt, you know, there's so many like audio Dafyomi like classes, like so many really great ones, by, like taught by like stellar scholars and really effective educators. Why would I add, you know, my own voice to that? But the, the answer, the reason to is there are people who are connected to our community who, who know me and, and know our, our, our Hebra and, and they would join our Dafyomi. And I have been since we've 
know, and switching to Zoom. And, and that should continue in perpetuity. There's really no reason why that should end. So I hope we'll always think about using technology to increase accessibility and to increase our reach and to have alumni continue to feel connected to the shul, even if they've moved away. Um, but of course, uh, really, really looking forward to restoring um, the intimacy of, of actual physical proximity when, when, once that's safe. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just like to summarize this point that we've been trying to to talk around is that on the one hand, like everything shifting into home away from Shul is like weird and disorienting and challenging and we miss being around people. And on the other hand, it's been this opportunity to kind of invest in the religious lives of our homes um, as uh, either a mikdash ma'at ma'at as a like... Mm -hmm a memory of what could be at Shul, which, which I think I was kind of getting at with like, well, we do the leaning together and all of that. Um, or just to reinvigorate the Mikdash Ma'at that is meant to be the home and that's meant to be the table and that's meant to be the hospitality and that's meant to be um, all of the, the rituals that we, we are always doing at home and the spirituality that our homes are supposed to be imbued with. And, and I can't help think just on this last part that there's a certain like... Um, gender element to that like there's been a lot of discussion kind of like on the internet like oh can't go to minion like welcome to being a jewish woman um which for me obviously doesn't resonate because i've been going to minion my entire like jewish adult life um but but i do think that as like jewish women kind of professionalized right like your job was no longer imbibe your home with spirituality your job was work at a bank or be a surgeon or whatever it was like there's no no one's like professional at the home or orientation is like the Judaism of my home that kind of became like everyone in the home's job or nobody in the home's job um, in a certain way. And, and, and there, there's a, a sort of like moment now to, to reinvigorate like the Jewish home um, that, that is, that I think is full of possibility in, in, in like a, in a feminist world, you know, in a world where like, that's not woman's work, that's everyone's work. And no one, and people haven't, or some people I'm sure have, but like many people haven't taken the time to kind of really uh, invest in that. And, and now we're kind of forced to. And there's, there's a certain gift involved in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyways, can't wait until we can go back to Shaw, obviously, but lots to kind of think about in terms of what Judaism means today and what Shoal means today and um, how we can reinvest in our homes and in our shoal and in our shoal's mission um, and the parts of that mission that don't just involve gathering together in person um, and in gaining a deeper understanding of like what our shoal means to us, what our community means to us and how we can double down on those things, especially when times are hard. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Straw Hat. Thank you so much to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all the hard work she puts into making these episodes happen. If you loved what you heard, then we would love to hear from you. Send us an email or a voice message or a text, um, and we would love to hear what you have to say. And if you didn't love what you heard, then you should build that into your home ritual and um, keep that in your home. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.